When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Talking about a huge issue here is investment in marginalized communities. They want to deconstruct this package and cherry pick what they like and what they don't like. China is surging forward with major investments. Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. Biden has promised again and again that he will unite the country. Who do you think Biden has to watch in terms of moderate defectors? Infrastructure has always been bipartisan. Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. Today is the start of a busy few weeks for President Biden. We're going to talk about what he's got on his plate. Uh, but before we do that, let's have a quick check on the markets with Charlie Pellet. All right, I thank you very much. And here's what's going on, Jeannie. United Airlines, first quarter loss, 750 a share. Estimates were for a loss of 702 shares of UAL, down now by just about 2% after hours. IBM out with earnings. It did post its first revenue gain in 11 quarters, driven by demand for cloud services, suggesting Arvind Krishna's turnaround plan is starting to bear fruit. Shares after hours up by just about 2.8%. Stocks retreated from records as investors await the heart of the earnings season, along with more economic data later in the week. S&P lower today by 22 points, down 5 tenths of 1%. The Dow dropped 123, down 4 tenths. NASDAQ down 137, down by 1%. Ten-year yield 1.60%. Gold at 17.71 the ounce. West Texas Intermediate Crew up four tenths of one percent today 63.38 for a barrel of wti again recapping equities lower on monday sell-off s p down 22 down five tenths of one percent i'm charlie pellet that Janie is a bloomberg business flash Thank you, Charlie. It's uh, so good to hear from you. Um, my name is Jeannie Shanzano. I'm a Bloomberg political contributor, and welcome to Sound On. Joining me today, as always, is, I was going to say my partner in crime, Rick Davis, but that doesn't sound good, is my <laughs> fellow Bloomberg political contributor, Rick Davis, as well as Michael Gordon. He's a Democratic strategist and former DOJ spokesperson during the Clinton administration. And as I was just mentioning, it's the start of what promises to be a really busy few weeks in the nation's capital, particularly for the president. This was, you know, he's just about 89 days into his administration, hard to believe. He's scheduled to host the big climate summit at the end of the week with leaders from around the world. He's preparing to give his state of the state address in conjunction with his first 100 days in office. That'll be next week and apparently a very hot ticket in D.C. because given the pandemic, there's going to be a smaller group of lawmakers than usual. Um, but the 
before he does any of that, he's going to introduce the second part of his infrastructure plan, the America's Families Plan. And he knows in order to do that, he's got to get Democrats and Republicans to come on board with the first part of his infrastructure bill. And that's what he spent some of the afternoon doing today, was meeting with a bipartisan group of 10 lawmakers to discuss the American Jobs Plan. You probably recall last week he met with about 10 Congress people. This week, another 10. And this week, these were people, uh, one of whom we spoke to on Sound On last week, Representative Jimenez from Florida. These are people who served as mayors and governors. And the White House said these are people who understand firsthand the impact of a federal investment in rebuilding our nation's infrastructure on their communities. And we have some sound on what President Biden had to say about this meeting. I've noticed everybody's for infrastructure. The question is, who's going to pay for it? And, uh, and that's what we're going to try to work out today, at least in a bipartisan group of members of the House and Senate. And so let me just welcome once again my fellow Bloomberg political contributor, Rick Davis, and of course, Michael Gordon. Very happy to talk to both of you. So, Rick, let me just ask you right off the bat what the president just referenced is somebody's going to have to pay for it. And do you think they're going to be able to reach agreement on that? Well, of course, he would like somebody to pay for his $2 trillion package that uh, represents the uh, the legislation that he sent to Congress. Uh, but I think there are a number of initiatives underway, some of which bipartisan, to actually whittle that down into a smaller package that, therefore, you could find uh, an easier path to payment. Uh, in fact, this weekend, Senators Corner and, and, and Coons, uh, Coons being uh, a very close friend of the president's, uh, uh, were on a Sunday show talking about such a package, an $800 billion package that would be much easier to pay for than a $2 trillion package, and that would represent, quote, hard infrastructure. And so I think you're going to see, as he reaches out and finds bipartisan consensus, that it's going to be a slightly different package. But at the end of the day, progress will be made. Yeah. And let's bring in Michael here, Michael Gordon, a a Democratic strategist and former DOJ spokesperson during the Clinton administration. Do you think, Michael, from the Democrats' point of view, that this $800 that Rick just referenced, and I, I heard the same interview you're referencing, Rick, over the weekend, and do you think that's something that Democrats will agree to? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think the issue is getting Democrats on board at the end of the day. I think the issue is sort of the center of the party, the moderate Democrats, as well as potentially Republicans, although I'm not particularly uh, expecting a large number of Republicans to get on board, if, if, if any at all. Um, but I, I do think that sort of the Joe Mansions of Congress will have a huge sort of oversized say in where this package nets and wherever it ends up getting negotiated, whether it's eight hundred billion um, or more or less, then then they will get every Democratic vote for sure. You know, keep in mind, two trillion was the you know first shot in this. All right. It was it was, it was the first uh, point of negotiation. And so there's a lot of more more work to be done. And and if um, if if all parties are truly willing to compromise, then, yeah, absolutely. Uh, they can get it done. 
And, and so, Rick, I know Michael just mentioned he thinks that Democrats will go along. Um, that won't be a challenge. But, you know, we're hearing and we've heard publicly and apparently Democrats from my home state of New York sent a letter to House leadership saying that they will not vote for the plan unless it includes lifting of this cap on salt, which is a big deal where I live, which is the state and local tax deductions. So, you know, as much as Democrats support the president, they, too, have their own interests. Do you think that he's going to have any negotiation with Democrats like those Dems from New York who are holding out on cap? Oh, sure. I mean, the the only thing more important uh, than Republicans in Congress are Democrats holding a line in Congress, because with the Democrats, they can get a lot done. Without them, uh, they can't get anything done. And so I, I do think people like Ron Klain. The uh, chief of staff to the president is out there flogging for Democratic votes. We know he's been meeting with people like the Blue Dog Democrats who, you know, have a different perspective than the progressive wing. But the progressive caucus has been meeting with them, too. And and so I think you see what we really all thought was going to happen in the Trump administration and never took flight is the entire administration, the staff in the White House, the president himself, the vice president, the cabinet, all fanning out to constituents uh, within Congress who they think they can sell a plan. And what the president is doing, which is, I think, critical to its success, is saying, just give me a plan. I'll sign whatever I can get back. And I think that is the terms of the engagement. And if that's the case, I think they can probably find a middle ground somewhere. Yeah. And Michael, let me just ask you if I I know you served for for Bill Clinton and I know you're not in Congress, but if you're a Democrat in Congress and we are hearing people like the aforementioned Chris Coons and others talking about potentially breaking this thing in two and, you know, putting what most people can agree is infrastructure in the first and everything else in the second. If you're a Democrat, are you comfortable with that kind of arrangement if that's what it comes down to? Or do you fear, as I think I probably would, that there's not going to be a second after you after you get the first if that one gets done? Sure. Yeah, of course, you'll be afraid of that. But I think at the same time, at the end of the day, whatever the final bill is that's put forth, the Democrats will support it. So there are uh, obviously a a wide range of Democrats and and you both talk talk to, you know, some of some of the Democrats that, that need to be happy the end of the day. But wherever this nets, that is what Democrats are going to vote for. And, and, and no one if, if there is a real bill at the end of the day, even if not everybody gets what they want, uh, Democrats uh, in any point of the party are not going to hijack it. Michael, I, I wanted to ask you a follow up on that, because, I mean, are the Democrats really giving anything up? I mean, so they let's say they they pass a bipartisan bill, you know, just under a trillion dollars. That's a huge victory for this administration. But they can still go back on all the pieces of the package that they had before and try and get it through reconciliation, can't they? Sure. I think that's a possibility. Um, but there is that fear that sort of once they get one infrastructure bill through, uh, that they may not have the energy or may need to focus on other things, other issues uh, to get it done. So I think that's uh, a real issue and a real fear. And, um, you know, they certainly will end up giving up uh, potentially, like like I said, two trillion is a starting point, and I think some people want even more than two trillion. So, uh, you know, I think it depends on who you ask, but I absolutely think that at the end of the day, uh, to get something done, Democrats will need to give something up. 
And at the end of last week, um, on, an, on an issue that Democrats have, um, you know, taken exception to the administration on, was the announcement of that many liberals seem disappointed about that the president and the administration said they were not going to raise the cap on the number of refugees um, from the low, according to the progressives, of the 15,000 put in the place by the Trump administration. We heard the administration walk that back a little bit over the weekend. And once again, Jen Psaki was trying to clear up today the use of the term crisis by the president. And I believe we have sound on that. He does feel that the crisis in Central America, the dire circumstances that many are fleeing from, that he that that is a situation we need to spend our time, our effort on, and we need to address it if we're going to prevent more of an influx of uh, migrants from coming in years to come. So, so Michael, in in your mind, is the president's use of the term um, that's gotten a lot of attention, and uh, Jen Psaki was just addressing um, in the in just about thirty seconds, was was that use of the term crisis as monumental as some of the media made it out to be? Uh, no, and I, I, I mean I'm not thrilled with the whole dance around the word crisis. I mean, <laughs> what's more important? What's more important is the facts on the ground and and how we're trying to resolve them and in a compassionate way that's in keeping with our policies. So, but it is not news that it is a crisis. Uh, it is perhaps news that the president said it was a crisis. But I, I don't I don't think a lot of effort should be spent uh, by by the White House in terms of trying to to spin this in a way that is uh, other than the truth. Yeah, and Rick, we we only have a few seconds left. Want to talk about this more um, with you and Michael? But you know, it seems to me that what we're hearing out of the administration is that the number of refugees, refugee resettlement, if you will, is not a big priority for the administration. It's not something that they want to spend a lot of capital on. It's not something the president wanted to address. But the minute he got this backlash on Friday, they did say, and we heard Anthony Blinken say it over the week weekend that next month they would talk about present potentially a new limit but we also heard and I'm curious to hear what you think about this is that it probably won't be near the 62,000 originally promised so we're going to talk about that and much more when we have a return on sound on I'm Jeannie Shanzano and this is Bloomberg Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. Welcome back to Sound On. My name is Jeannie Shanzano, and I am here with my colleague Rick Davis, a Bloomberg political contributor, as well as a partner at Stone Court Capital and former campaign manager for John McCain's 2008 presidential campaign. And of course, Michael Gordon, a Democratic strategist and former DOJ spokesperson during the Clinton administration. So Rick, uh, I wanted to see if you had any thoughts (laughs) 
<laughs> reaction to my theory, which is that this idea that the administration, as we think about this immigration refugee resettlement issue, which is that the administration is really unlike I think the Trump administration came in with a plan as to what they want to focus on. And those were obviously COVID infrastructure and the economy. He doesn't seem to want to get derailed or taken off track by other things he doesn't think he can succeed at. And I think refugee resettlement doesn't have huge popularity in the polls. Not sure it's something he's going to be able to address right away. Seems to me he'd rather not address it. And he got a little bit caught with that at the end of the last week or over the weekend. For sure. I mean, you know, they are battling, you know, a horrific situation on the border, and that's going to be in the news no matter what. And and I do think this administration, similar to Obama, just didn't want to pick up a real tough partisan battle on the border and on immigration uh, without a you know, really tight, you know, comprehensive immigration package. But this is a topic that just keeps coming up. One of the things in the news this week is that former President George Bush has just done a new book uh, uh, of out of many, one, e pluribus unum, all about, you know, the, uh, America's greatest strength is immigration. And so here's another president who thinks he's doing what he can to try and promote some kind of reform, you know, gets right into the, pre you know, President Biden's knickers on, on a very sensitive Did you topic. just say knickers, Rick Davis? <laughs> <laughs> well, moving right along. Uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of curious for Michael, too. I mean, from your perspective, I mean, you're, you're, you're a strategist. You understand sort of the byplay on sort of getting your priorities done. But is there going to be room between now and the midterm elections for any kind of comprehensive immigration reform, something that sort of packages up all these various items and tries to get something done in mass? Yeah, I mean, there are so many items on Biden's on Biden plate right now um, that's certainly on the list. I'm not sure it will happen candidly between now and um, the midterm elections. Many have tried, all have failed. Um, but <clears throat> Sorry. Um, but um, uh, I think it is worth uh, the effort because it is an issue that seems to dog uh, administration after administration. And if the Democrats, with this rare opportunity of holding both the White House and both chambers of Congress, can get something done that is in line with our values, then uh, I, I think they should do it. You know, the issue is it very frequently becomes a heated partisan debate. And as we've seen, Biden really has tried to pick his issues and pick popular ones. And, and, and Michael, that's a great phrase. Many have tried and all have failed. It's sad, but it's a great phrase that you used. <laughs> it's it's yeah. a sad commentary. And, and, and Rick, as we were talking about um, when President Biden was speaking with the Japanese prime minister and the first question he got asked, I think it was Friday, had to do with, of course, the scourge of mass, uh, you know, gun violence and mass murders in this country. And he, you know, once again talked about turning to Congress to pass gun control. But just as you and Michael are talking about, in the context of immigration, many have tried and all have failed. And, you know, it, I heard it was the third or fourth time at, after this Indianapolis shooting that they have lowered flags to half staff at the White House. And he hasn't even been in office 100 days, all in the context of these horrific shootings. Do you have any sense that this will be at all different this time? 
No, uh, this is one of those issues, just as, as you articulated very well, uh, Jeannie, um, you know, it's sticky, right? Uh, just like immigration reform, there's no clear path to a solution. Uh, gun violence, police reform, urban violence, all these things have plagued the country without a ready solution. I do think President uh Biden has done a lot, uh, both as candidate and as president, to try and empathize with those people involved in this 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 controversy and and try to talk about pathways. But it's it's not an easy solution. And 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 for a country that's wrapped in in gun violence epidemic, um, it's it's something I think has got to percolate back up, as as Michael was saying, to the very top priority of this administration, because regardless of their legislative financial proposals, this is the part that's tearing the country apart at the seams. And I think one of the things he said at that press conference is something to the effect of he has never not focused on pushing for gun control. But, you know, there is a lot of gun control advocates who would beg to differ with that. This was somebody who promised on day one to have massive, um, you know, major, I should say, gun control legislation before Congress. All we've seen so far have been executive actions that many people don't feel go far enough. And of course, you know, we are nine years after Sandy Hook. I'm not far from the border of Connecticut where that occurred 22 years after Columbine and yet no action. So, you know, there have been attempts, as Michael said, many times. But in this context, as in the case of immigration, we haven't seen success. And I, I, I am curious if the president is going to move any, you know, be able to move the needle on this at all. Or to my earlier point, if he's even going to try to do that. This is Sound On on Bloomberg. You can download this Bloomberg Sound On podcast on iTunes at Bloomberg.com or at the Bloomberg Business app. I am Jeannie Shanzano, and this is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. I am Jeannie Shanzano, and I am here with Bloomberg political contributor and a partner at Stone Court Capital, former campaign manager for John McCain, Rick Davis, as well as Michael Gordon, a Democratic strategist and a former DOJ spokesperson during the Clinton administration. And today, of course, is a sad anniversary. Um, 26 years ago today, 168 people were killed. It was April 19th, 1995, the day after my mom's birthday, so I remember it very well, at the Alfred P. Murrah Government Building in Oklahoma City. In honor of their memory, a remembrance ceremony um, was held, um, and this year's keynote speaker was Attorney General Merrick Garland, who was with the Justice Department at the time of the attack and part of the search to find the bomber, Timothy McVeigh. And he had some fairly moving uh, comments to make during today's remembrance ceremony, and we have sound on that. Although many years have passed, the terror perpetrated by people 
like Timothy McVeigh, is still with us. And of course, now Attorney General Merrick Garland vowing to continue to combat extremism 26 years later. And and Michael, I wanted to come to you because um, I know you were at the Department of Justice. I don't think you were there at this particular moment, but please correct me if I'm wrong. But I wanted to ask you to reflect a, a little bit on this anniversary and what you remember about it. Sure. Yeah. So I did work for Clinton at the time, but I was in a different role and it was before I worked at the Justice Department. But obviously um, the whole country was shaken by it. And we, of course, uh, all of us who worked for the president were, were shaken by it as well. And it was just a palpably, I mean, you could not walk around the hallways without feeling the palpable sadness among all of us when this took place. And, um, you know, it sort of feels to me like it was the beginning of this um, domestic terrorism, domestic, you know, we talked briefly in the last segment, you know, the, 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 the mass shootings, like, like that was really the first major thing that has sort of defined so much of our culture for the last quarter century. But, um, it was um, it, it just it, it was unspeakable sadness and, you know, sort of magnified by the fact that that children, you know, were, were impacted and uh, as has been the case with with so many of the mass shootings as well. You know, Michael, um, uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland made the point in his speech about how, you know, this was perpetrated by individuals who had a hatred for the federal government and, and maybe was the first time in a lot of our lives we really were confronted, you know, uh, firsthand with this kind of domestic extremism. You know, we'd gotten used to, you know, foreign radicals trying to inflict harm upon us, but the idea that it came from within was 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 a shock to so many people and continues to be. You know, I mean, we, we only need to be reminded of the events at the Capitol on January 6th to realize that, that this has not gotten better. It's gotten worse. And so I'm kind of curious, you know, is there something this administration can do? I mean, obviously, Merrick Garland's speech today is a good first step. But you're used to doing sort of sophisticated strategies around communications. Um, is there something this administration could do to get us back on a track where our, our national institutions, the courts, the government, um, aren't the enemy of the people, but in fact those who can actually uh, ensure our liberties are, are maintained, not taken away? Sure. Well, it's, it's more of a long-term uh, strategy, and I, I don't think the president and his administration alone – can make the difference here because there are so many institutions at play. Um, of course, cable news and social media have really amplified so much of the and, and reflected so much of the anger in this country. So I think that the uh, the president alone can't do it. But I think he the more he can do to humanize these institutions and the people behind them and the work that they do. And the more that he can connect that that humanization and, and those people and those institutions to the real everyday lives of citizens, the more effective he will be. But he will never reach everyone because that's just the state of our country right now. Uh, he will reach a, a, a you know perhaps a, a, a large moderate swath across the country, but um, I don't see him 
reaching everyone, and that's just the reality of, of where we are today. It, it, it's such a good point. And, and, and Michael, you, you know, I, I agree with you. That seemed now looking back on it, like the start of what we are seeing, as Rick mentioned, you know, culminating potentially in January 6. And Rick, we only have about 30, 40 seconds left. But your party over the weekend made some news with this caucus um, in the House that was discussed with many people describing it as racist and nativist. Do you think it's going to take Republicans standing up to make a change on this? Yeah, I think, look, I think it's uh, what Michael said is is really appealing to me. I mean, the humanization of institutions of government and, and, and even the issues that we have, bringing it down to how it impacts people, I think is a really good way to try and neutralize some of this really crass partisanship that still is in our in our party in our institutions it's on both parties and and I think Michael's point is you know try to create a human face to this um, you know when we throw out these invectives remember we're 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 attacking real people whether it's on the border or with you know people who are involved in domestic extremism so I think I think that is really great advice and and I think we we, we should do a memo out to Congress and the rest of the administration on humanization I, I I want you and Michael to get on that memo I agree I think it's a good point and I have to say you know Attorney General Merrick Garland um, of course we we mostly remember him most recently as being nominated and not getting a consideration from the Senate so when he was nominated for AG and they began talking about his work during the Oklahoma City bombing, um, I was I I hadn't realized how involved he had been. So I want to thank so much Michael Gordon. He's a Democratic strategist, former DOJ spokesperson during the Clinton administration. Michael, it was great to talk to you, and look forward to talking to you again soon. I'm Jeannie Shanzano, and this is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. And welcome back to Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. I am Jeannie Shanzano, along with my fellow Bloomberg political contributor, Rick Davis, and really delighted to welcome the representative, the congresswoman from New York's 11th district, Nicole Maliotakis. So, Representative Maliotakis, it's really wonderful to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks for having me on today. So I know that you sit on the all-important Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, as well as on Foreign Affairs, but wanted to ask you about infrastructure. I'm sure you're not surprised by that. Um, And in particular, I know, and, and I have to tell you, I am from New York, so this is something close to me, that you have joined um, with the quote-unquote SALT Caucus, seeking a full repeal on SALT deductions. Can you talk a little bit about your view on that? Sure. Well, um, I represent Staten Island in Brooklyn and New York City. 
uh, and the salt deduction is critically important. But I, I, I think it's important to make clear that I, I support restoring the salt deduction, which would allow people to take that write off uh, when they do their federal tax return for the state and local income tax that they pay, so they're not double taxed. But I also think it's important that New York City and New York State hold the line on taxes. So when we had this unveiling of the newly formed SALT Caucus, which is Republicans and Democrats uh, who share these views, um, we, I made clear that you know, this is not a license for Mayor de Blasio to continue raising taxes or Governor Cuomo to continue raising taxes. I think that it's very important that they hold the line on state and local taxes, particularly New York City, the property tax. Uh, which has gone up well over 50% since Mayor de Blasio has been in office. So New York City, unfortunately, is the only municipality in the state of New York that does not have a property tax cap. So I continue to push for New York City's property tax cap. But the salt deduction would be something that we can do on the federal level to provide relief for the people that we represent back home who are being double taxed. Congressman, this is Rick Davis. Welcome to the program. And I, I'm so excited to have you here because uh, you are such a special individual. I mean, the only woman Republican ever elected in New York City. I mean, that is so strong. Um, and I must say, for many people who don't know, uh, I was very excited about your run for mayor, too. I thought having you in uh, City Hall uh, would have been great, but it's great to have you in Congress. And I want to follow up on the funding of uh, these items like you know, salt uh, obviously takes some uh, revenue out of the system. Uh, and I totally agree with you. I mean, the less we can pay in taxes, especially in, in that region, uh, the better off we are. But, uh, but we seem to be coming up with some progress on infrastructure around some of these, you know, sort of bipartisan options that are going on. We had a little bit of a conversation about that earlier in the program. Uh, but even if you're looking at a $800, $1 billion infrastructure package, you've got to pay for that somehow. And we know the Biden administration's position on that is to raise corporate taxes at, at a minimum. Uh, what's your sense of how to get some infrastructure done, and, and but in a way that doesn't really press the taxpayer? Yeah, so first of all, I think, I think that, uh, you know, look, when we did the COVID relief bill, uh, part of my frustration with this latest package was the amount of money it spent when we had a trillion dollars still unspent from the remaining package. So in, 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 if I were sort of in charge of everything, I would have saved some of that money and said, you know, let's make sure we spend that money first before we do another $1.9 trillion package, and let's save some of this for the uh, transportation infrastructure bill. Now, moving forward, I, I'm, very, I'm very worried about taking on more debt. As you know, we're approaching a $30 trillion debt in this country, uh, and I also am concerned about raising taxes and the impact that they may have. You know, I think that at the end of the day, you may have a combination of you know, some form of increase in, in taxes and whether it be by slightly increasing the corporate tax, which is what some of the Democrats are pushing. They were first saying 28 percent, but I don't think that's going to happen uh, simply because, uh, you know, you have even Democrats that are opposed to increasing it that much. But it probably will be some form of combination of perhaps a user uh, fee uh, for using the highways, which would basically be a charge on mileage. I don't think the gas tax is really an option anymore. Um, and then, and then some, maybe something with the corporate tax. But I'm, you know, as a Republican, I'm always saying, look, we should look for areas where we can cut spending uh, and try to balance it out. I mean, it, as a New York State legislature, 
you know, I was able to go through this budget and, and see tons of areas where we can cut, where money is being wasted, where we're not operating efficiently. And I think that that's what we should be doing, that sort of exercise on the federal level first to see where can we perhaps find savings to offset. And then, you know, if there are a fee or taxes that have to be implemented, then, then we can have that discussion. But I would say that, um, you know, it's hard to tell at this point the direction that Congress will be going in. I know that on our side of the aisle, we prefer to look at some sort of savings before we increase taxes. Uh, and, you know, that that's, I think, where we're going to stand. But I think the most important thing is that this package is actually tailored and specific to the needs of transportation infrastructure. Uh, part of my frustration is that you know, less than 25% would be traditional infrastructure, roads, bridges, tunnels, uh, ports, airports. A lot of the spending is so, you know, they're talking about health care and child care and Medicaid, uh, you know, a lot of Green New Deal type policies, which, look, some, some investment in, in, in green technology is important, but we shouldn't be subsidizing electric cars more than we're paying for, you know, bridges and roads and, tradi- and ports. So I think that that's some of the, we're going to get some of the pushback from the Republicans. Um, but so it's yet to be seen how this all shapes up. Uh, but I know that there are many Republicans interested in true infrastructure, true transportation upgrades. And if I could just add one more thing, part of my frustration is, you know, seeing how city and state don't use taxpayer money wisely to actually keep up with infrastructure needs. You know, this is a problem New York has. You know, people pay taxes. They work hard. They expect transportation improvement. They expect the traffic to flow. They expect you to keep up to date with the infrastructure they, they expect a good education for their children. They expect you to keep public safety uh, and, and, and border security. These are the things that I think, you know, our local cities and states should be doing better in actually spending money with what the taxpayers expect you to spend it on instead of doing all sorts of other things that was, is outside the realm of government. And Representative, I know in addition to transportation and infrastructure, you're also sitting on foreign affairs. In the last week or two, there's been so many important stories about, you know, from Afghanistan to Russia. And one of the things we're hearing in the last 24, 48 hours is that the Russian opposition leader, Alexei Navalny, has been transferred to a hospital after a three-week hunger strike. Um, and of course, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki came out today, um, talked about his condition as part of her daily updates. I think we have sound on that. What happens to Mr. Navalny in the custody of the Russian government is the responsibility of the Russian government and that they will be held accountable by the international community. So, Representative, I wanted to ask you, what do you think the administration Congress should do in regard to Russia and particularly in the context of Alexei Navalny, should his health fail? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, one of the things that I've been pushing this administration to do is use its uh, its desired reentry into the United Nations Human Rights Council to speak out against some of these violators. It's, it's appalling to me that you had the UN Human Rights Council allow Maduro to speak at its opening meeting, who has created so many human rights problems in Venezuela. Same thing, the fact that you know, China and Russia and uh, you know, Cuba have seats on this council. I think that's something where United States of America can serve as a leader to speak out against human rights violators, particularly those that are sitting on this council. So I I did urge uh, Secretary Blinken at a a recent meeting where we we had the opportunity to bring up concerns and ask questions. I did ask them to use this 
as an opportunity because you know the vote will be in October. And this is a perfect opportunity to run that sort of campaign that we will hold those human rights violators accountable. So I think that that, to me, is the most important thing that we should be looking to do in the next few months. Congresswoman, uh, heat on the U.N. is always a good thing. And, and, and you're right. I mean, the U.N. Human Rights Council has been, you know, uh, uh, a really spotty record at best. But the Biden administration just laid on some sanctions on the Russians last week, and, and it was much discussed. And obviously, uh, the Navalny situation is part and parcel of, of the reason to pressure the Russian government. We can do it directly through these sanctions. Were, were the sanctions that the administration laid on tough enough to actually get anything out of the Russians? Um, you know, I think it's yet to be seen. I think certainly the sanctions could be tougher. And I think, uh, as you mentioned at the very beginning, when when the question was uh, first proposed, I think that we have to engage the international community. And that means, you know, those those international players who do sit on the Human Rights Council, who believe, like we do, that China is a violator of human rights, that Cuba is a violator of human rights, Venezuela, Russia, and that they are they have seats on this, and we should be looking to oust them from this committee and hold hold them accountable. So I think that, you know, from both the sanctions perspective, engaging with our allies in the international community uh, and trying to get them to also place sanctions, uh, hold them accountable. I think that this is something that we need to do uh, collectively with um, other members of the community that we know see eye to eye with us on this issue. Representative Maliotakis, I want to thank you so much for your time today. We, you covered a lot of ground. We're, we're very fortunate to be able to talk to you. Um, thank you so much for coming on. And I want to also thank, of course, Michael Gordon, Democratic strategist, and Rick Davis, Bloomberg political contributor, partner at Stonecourt Capital, and former campaign manager for John McCain's 2008 presidential campaign. I am Jeannie Shanzano, and this is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch strata coaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com.